Miss Betsy, sorry. So, but if you have your Bibles, open them to Romans chapter 3. I, I, again, this is very different. I'm not even going to go through these verses later, so, but we're going to start out with them. Romans 3, and we're going to start with verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Amen. Alrighty, so again, this is going to be different. As Christians, we have a specific worldview. Our worldview differs from other worldviews. The question we want to ask ourselves is, okay, pastor, what is a worldview? What is this term? What does it mean? And the most basic answer is that a worldview is how one defines the events that happen around them. Generally, a worldview answers four important questions in particular. Where did we come from? What went wrong? How is it fixed? What happens when it is fixed? No matter who you ask, They tend to have answers to all of these questions. Now, as I've said, Christianity offers us a worldview. We hear this worldview weekly when we come to the gospel segment of the application points. So today, because I had no idea what was going to happen today, it seemed like a good day to focus a little bit more in depth with that gospel message that we hear every week. Because while the gospel, the good news of Christianity, is found in Christ, we must also understand that the whole Christian worldview is the gospel. It is all technically good news. Yet the best way to help us understand our worldview is to also understand other worldviews as well. Because of this, we will look at each question that I went over and see the answer that naturalists, pantheists, and Christians provide to see which one comes up with the most comprehensive answer. I know. (laughs) Different. (laughs) The first one is origins. It all begins with our origins, doesn't it? There are many different answers to the question of origins. And again, every worldview will have an answer to this question. Where did we come from? Naturalism, for example, argues that we came from time plus matter plus chance. After millions, or billions, or trillions probably, I don't even know how far it goes anymore. It's getting there, isn't it? After millions of years of evolutionary process, we find ourselves here on earth. There is no God, no spiritual, no supernatural. Nature is all that there is, and all that there will be. The problem with this is that it doesn't give an adequate reason for things like morality, personality, or the existence of life itself. Consider it. If this naturalism, this idea that there is no spiritual, no supernatural, it's just time plus matter plus chance, is true, then why should we be moral creatures? What does it matter if we murder, cheat, or lie? 
Why is it that all cultures have this sense of a moral code? Assuming naturalism is true, there shouldn't be any reason for this. Because we should all just be fighting for the survival of the fittest. And there's no reason morality would cause us to survive any better or any worse. And some have argued that morality actually just causes us to survive worse than it does better. It happens. This also leads us to personhood. Why do we possess personhood? Why are you, you? How is it that you can think to yourself? If naturalism is true, then we should simply be automatons. The universe being a machine of time plus matter plus chance would only create machines of time plus matter plus chance without any form of personhood or personality. Yet, here we are. Finally, if naturalism is true, how is it possible that life exists at all? Assuming the universe had no beginning and has existed eternally, then the universe should have either frozen or burnt up by now because if it has existed for an eternity, then it would already have reached a point of an end which has supposedly been projected. Likewise, the likelihood that this universe would create life by mere chance is beyond comprehension, it's astronomical numerically when we consider the necessary requirements for life down to the smallest atom. Naturalism on its own does not give enough numerical data to argue on its own behalf. That's what I'm trying to say. Another common answer though to origins is pantheism. Pantheism boasts that God is everything. Hinduism can be a good example of this, though not always, because it is so immersive in its own elements that it has everything, including atheism, in it. Regardless, the elements of Hinduism that are pantheistic have thousands, if not millions, of gods, because they believe that the world, the cosmos, is itself a god and manifests itself in all of these different gods. So the sun is a god. The water is is God. Cows are God. I kid you not. This kind of pantheism is not only found in Hinduism, but also in the New Age movements we have heard so much about in the last 50 or so years. For them, the same is the case, though they don't call it God, but they call it the universe, or the universal consciousness. This could give us a reason for life, assuming that there were a universal consciousness. However, it does not do well for morality or personhood. The problem with morality is that in a pantheistic mind frame, both evil and good are actually necessary. You cannot have evil without good, nor vice versa. Therefore, there is no real reason to be good. One can be evil, and it wouldn't matter in the least. Likewise, with personhood, we encounter the same problem as we do with naturalism. The universe has no signs of personality in and of itself. It simply is. Ultimately, for these, humanity is just another cog in the machine. We have no real sway over anything. We are just pawns, fatalists, to live and die in the machine. If this is the case, then why do we have personhood at all? Why would the universe give us personality if it was meant to be simply discarded? Now this leads us to the Christian worldview. 
As we know, according to Genesis 1 through 2, we learn that God created all the cosmos according to the power of his word. He spoke all things into existence. Right away, this is very different than the religions of old, which were contemporaries of the Old Testament. In Egypt, for example, the gods came from the earth. In other words, first there was some kind of matter, some kind of existence, and then the gods came from that existence. This is not the same with the scriptures, which argue that God created all things ex nihilo, out of nothing. All that we see came about by God. He did not come out of something. He was the one who was pre-existent, pre-eternal. This answers the question of life. We also learn that God created humanity to bear his image. This answers the questions we have asked of the previous worldviews. Why do we have personhood? Because God existed as the Trinity, existing in three unique persons of the Trinity. Therefore, we have a basis for personhood. What about morality? Well, we learn within the scriptures that God is a moral God. We find this out when God issues a command, eat not from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. From this we learn that there is a right and a wrong way to live. Once the fall happens, we are given more moral codes in the law. By the law we learn what is right, what is wrong, and what happens if we break the law. It also explains why humanity has a sense of morality within us. Since God is a moral God, we are moral creatures. As a side note, This is also why we're able to choose. While there are certainly elements of predestination within the scriptures, we understand that we are also not mere machines. We have choice. We have free will, which is altogether different than the naturalist worldview, which argues that we're just part of the machine. We have no free will. Likewise, because all humans are created in the image of God, we can be sure that there is sanctity, dignity, and worth to human life. Without the image of God, there is no reason to hold any of these. Human life can just as easily be discarded, rejected, or used for personal or even corporate profit and gain. Yet, if we are created in the image of God, then we can be sure that these are realities which we can live by. Now this leads us to the second question, what went wrong? Now we come to the problem that every worldview faces. We all must acknowledge in some capacity that there is something wrong with the world. There is something broken that needs fixed. Every worldview provides an answer to this question as well. Every worldview asks and then answers the question, what went wrong? Naturalists generally come to many results for this. For example, some of the more radical naturalists believe that theism, the belief in God, is the problem. We, become, we became naive with the things of the world, they say. We attributed the creation to a creator. We started believing in the supernatural, and it has been our downfall ever since. That's what they say. Other naturalists answer the question differently. Kinsey was a naturalist and a major player during the sexual revolution of the 60s and the 70s. One of the arguments he and others with him made was that the problem was that we were originally sexually active creatures, but because of societies and religion, we inhibited our natural sex appetites. This is where we went wrong, according to Kinsey and others like him. 
If you include the other psychologists of the 20th century, we continue to see a trend of the issue being something psychological. If you ask the psychologists what went wrong, you will get a wide variety of naturalistic answers. Whether the problem is societal, we are defined by society which we live, or personal, we are individuals who define who we are and we inhibit ourselves for various reasons. That's what they tell us. That's what wrong. We inhibit ourselves. Now, pantheistic worldviews also answer the question. They generally hold that the problem is that we have become too individualistic. We have placed too much significance on humanity and not enough on nature. We continue to rape the planet, and that is the problem. We don't show the cosmos enough respect, or at least the respect it deserves. In some pantheistic beliefs, this causes other forms of issues. The rains then do not fall, the sun does not shine, the food does not grow, the mountains erupt. All of these are elements of a pantheistic belief. So the question we want to now ask is, what do the scriptures say the problem is? The answer is that God gave us a choice. If he didn't give us a choice in the matter, then it wouldn't really be a free will, would it? So what was the choice? Well, we could either obey his commandments and follow him into life, or disobey and fall into sin and death. Humanity chose the latter, and we have continued to choose this ever since. It is because of this we have the problems we have. When we see cruelty, sorrow, brokenness, it is because of our choice to sin. Sin causes all of our relationships to be broken. So our relationship upward toward God is broken. Our relationship inward with ourselves is broken, psychologically, um, spiritually, physically. Our relationships outward toward each other are broken. Our relationships with our families, with our friends are broken. And even our relationships with the natural world are broken. We do, in fact, destroy the world when we want to. It is also because of sin that we accrue a greater moral guilt before our God. Not a feeling of guilt, but true guilt before a righteous judge. And because of that, we deserve punishment. We deserve justice. But the problem is that we are guilty parties to whom justice should be served. So now comes the grand question. How do these different worldviews fix the problem? Are their problems really problems? Do they offer an adequate solution to the problem? These are the questions we should be asking. So we start with the naturalists. We recognize that the more radical of them believe that the problem is theism and supernaturalism. We started believing in God and that is the problem. So how do we fix it? We get rid of God. We kill him. And leave him and all that superstitious nonsense behind us. We move forward in technological and scientific advancements and leave all the other stuff behind. This is the answer for the scientific wing of naturalism. Yet what about the psychological wing? Well, Kinsey and those like him of the sexual revolution say, let go of your sexual inhibitions. Go have sex with whoever you want. You want to be bisexual, homosexual, pansexual, transsexual, heterosexual. Good for you. Want to have multiple partners? Go ahead. Kinsey did. You can too. It means breaking out of the societal norms. Be yourself whatever yourself looks like. The only way to fix the machine is to let these inhibitions go. And I know that Kinsey, I said, was from the 60s. 
Do you think that his research had any impact on us today by what I just said? Others argue that behavioral modification should work. Just help them change their lifestyle. So a question to ask is, why should some things be considered acceptable while others shouldn't be modified? Why are some psychological issues in need of being changed and others not? You see, it causes a problem. How does all of this work when it comes to morality, personhood, life? Their answer, who cares? Morality is just an inhibition the majority of the time, and personhood should be defined based upon your psyche. Unless, of course, these particular psychologists define the inhibitions and what personhood is. Then those inhibitions can be placed, and those definitions should be placed. That's funny, isn't it? They get to decide. Granted, this is altogether interesting because the scientists generally agree with the psychologists. The problem is that the issue of personhood is not a scientific issue, but a philosophical issue. So the scientists and the psychologists argue that all that exists is nature, yet they cannot adequately define why they should define personhood at all. It doesn't really make sense if you follow it through. Pantheists also have an answer, though different. They argue that the problem was that we were not respecting the cosmos. The answer, then, is to respect the cosmos. The cosmos is far greater than we. We are but part of the machine. Therefore, we should stop raping the planet and start loving it. Even if it means we die, who cares? All that matters is that the earth, the cosmos, survives. We, essentially, have no inherent meaning or purpose. When it comes to some forms of Hinduism, when the rains cease or the crops fail, we simply do something to make it right, whether it is prayer, fasting, or sacrifice. However, we pray to the river. We sacrifice to the element. In this way, surely the universe will turn around and all will be made right. Buddhism, though not necessarily pantheistic, depending on who you ask, in its worldview, in being nature being God, enters it slightly differently. For Buddhists, the problem is that we have connected too much with our individualism and placed ourselves too high. We remedy this by going up to the mountain until all that remains is the mountain. In other words, letting go of your personality and returning to the dust. That is how we fix the problem. Finally, we come to Christianity. But before we do, I want to focus on Islam and Judaism for a second. Technically, so far, Christianity and Judaism, and even Islam, have for the most part agreed with the previous two thoughts concerning origins and the problem. The one exception, and I think it's an important exception, is their lack of the Trinity and how that affects personhood. If not for that, then the majority of Islam and Judaism would agree with what has been said. It is here, however, that Christianity separates completely with the others. You see, for Judaism... The answer is to live a moral lifestyle. That is how you make yourself right with God. How that moralism works depends on the specific denomination of Judaism. For some, it means adherence to the law. To others, it is simply being moral without adherence to the law. How that works, I don't know. Others are atheists and generally fall into naturalists. The point is, being moral fixes the problem. Islam is similar. You fix the problem by, allowing the commandments, by following the commandments of the Quran. 
Just like Judaism, there are many interpretations to this. Not all in Islam are radical like ISIS. We need to remember this. But there are radicals who do believe blowing themselves up is an answer. Meanwhile, there are other Islamists who abhor such violence, but still recognize that they are to follow a code to be made right with God. Now, if you notice, there is a feature in both of these. In both Islam and Judaism, the focus is on what you do. That's the focus. You need to fix the problem. You need to be more moral. You need to follow the law. If you are good enough, according to the standard, then maybe you will have fixed the problem. Now, if you notice, doing is not, the, is not only with the religious worldview, but all the worldviews seen. Whether it is a psychologist who look at releasing inhibitions and doing, or those who believe in behavioral adjustments, or pantheists respecting the world, or again Judaism and Islam following a code or a law. Christianity, however, rejects the idea that you can do anything to remedy the situation. Instead, we recognize our guilt. We recognize we cannot clean off our guilt, and because of that, our best deeds are as filthy rags before our God and our judge. So thankfully... We recognize that God did not leave us in this state forever. Instead, he sent his light and his word into our darkness, and that is Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again in time, space, history, and flesh. It is what he has done that causes us to be healed. It is in him that we find our redemption. What Jesus' life, death, and resurrection means is this. God is a righteous judge. He cannot simply allow us to go free because we have true guilt. Just as a murderer should not be allowed to go free because of their crimes, our crimes against God cannot go free either. Therefore, God sent his son as a sacrifice on our behalf. Jesus is the propitiation for our guilt, meaning, though we deserve judgment, he takes our judgment. He is the expiation of our sins, meaning that he cleanses us of our sins. While we were created in the image of God, we fell into sin. And to fix a problem, God did something. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to restore us. All that is required of us in the Christian faith is two things. The first is faith in Christ. We are to recognize our complete dependence upon the Son of God for our salvation. It is not what we do which saves us but what Christ has done. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the scriptures alone, for the glory of God alone. The second is repentance. We are to turn away from our sin and turn toward God. While we are not saved by our deeds, we recognize we still have a lifestyle by which God calls us to live. We are to live for his glory, not as slaves, but as adopted children of God, most high, through his son, Jesus Christ. It is love which urges us onward. Love of the Father given to us, and love for the Father in return, which causes us to live for him according to the scriptures, walking in step with his spirit within us. The final question we want to ask is, where we're going? And that answer depends on which worldview you have. If we follow the naturalists, if we let go of our inhibitions or change our behaviors, if we let go of God, if we let go of all the things holding us back, where does that ultimately ultimately lead? The answer to this question has already been made present through the 20th century. When we consider naturalism, it is easy to think of Nietzsche, of all people, and his story 
that claimed that God was dead. The character's name that said this was Madman. And the Madman went around in the streets and he recognized that the death of God meant the death of absolute morality and absolute truth. Nietzsche concluded that with the death of religion would come the greatest wars the world has ever witnessed. As it turns out, this is true. The 20th century saw the rise of atheism as well as moral and truth ambiguities, and with it became the bloodiest century of all time. More people died in the 20th century than all the other centuries combined. This is where naturalism leads, and it's because naturalism has no basis for human life. It recognizes that human life is something to be used and discarded. Life itself has no purpose, no meaning, no value. Because of this, morality is irrelevant, and all that matters is living for now. This is where the scientific naturalists and the psychologists end up betraying their own belief. For if they followed through, they would recognize there is no purpose to life according to their worldview. And all that is and was falls into bitter nihilism, which only leads to death. So the question most ask is, how do people live with this kind of worldview? How? The answer is, they live with it because they're either willingly or unwillingly inconsistent. For example, many individuals I know who accept the homosexual lifestyle as valid argue that individuals have a right to their own views and lifestyles. Yet, if you ask them of necrophilia, if you ask them if necrophilia is all right, if you ask them that if incest is all right, they will normally, some actually disagree and say yes these days, but normally they'll say no. Thus, they live inconsistently with their own views. Since these kinds of sexual relationships should technically be just as valid as any other according to their views, but they don't allow them. Why do they not allow them? If you look at the majority of these kinds of issues, you will soon find many people will not be able to follow through with their worldview. Eventually, there will be something which they will say, that's too far. Thus, it betrays the worldview itself, since the worldview cannot adequately define the entirety of the human experience. Thus, the real conclusion should be nihilism, but most people just accept a false dichotomy in their own beliefs and therefore split up their own personhood. And sadly, they live this way every day of their lives. When we consider pantheism, the end result is simply death. If one believes that the universe is God itself, and death leads to returning to God in some capacity, if we follow through with this belief, then nothing one does in this life will matter. Whether one was evil or good, one simply returns to the imminent and impersonal God of pantheism. That or not return to pantheistic God at all but simply fall back into the dust as part of the machine. Finally, when we consider Christianity, we find something rather different. Christianity recognizes that humanity is in need of some kind of judgment for our sins. We know God is a righteous God, and because of this, He will not simply allow sin to pass by. So there ends up being two groups of people. There are those who are in Christ and those who are outside of Christ. For those who are outside of Christ, there is condemnation. None can stand before God according to the Christian worldview because we are all worthy of death because of our sins. To stand apart from Christ, then, is to stand with our own guilt and our own sins in hand. Therefore, God will judge us according to our deeds, and we will experience the wrath of God for our transgressions.
Yet, and thank God there is a yet, if you are in Christ, then there is a different course. As we remember, according to Christianity, it is not about what you do, but about what Christ has done. For those who are in Christ, the future is one filled with glory. It is filled with redemption, with hope, peace, and love. God no longer sees you. He sees his own son, Jesus Christ, when he looks at you. The righteousness of Christ is given to you. And because of this, you become a child of God Most High through Jesus Christ. Today we begin the course of a changed life under the Lordship of Christ, committing all things to Him. Today we can have victory over sin and death. Today we begin the restoration of our relationships with God, ourselves, each other, and the world. Today we can do that. Finally, when Christ comes again, those who belong to Him will inherit an eternal kingdom of peace with God forevermore. Of the different worldviews we have looked at today, none stands in comparison with Christianity as a complete worldview. None can truly obtain justice as Christianity does. None can explain morality, life, or even personhood the way that Christianity does. Likewise, none can give an adequate reason for the pursuit of science, technology, or even psychology. Christianity accurately adequately explains that the cosmos is created. It is not God himself. Therefore, we should study it. We should understand it because it helps us understand the mighty God who created all of this beauty. Likewise, when it comes to psychology, we should study the human mind, but we should understand the brokenness in light of the fall. We shouldn't assume that a particular psychological issue is caused because someone sinned and it is God's punishment. Instead, we should understand that we are broken because of the fall, broken in sin. And because of that, it can help lead us in our understanding of our broken conditions, but only when understood through the right worldview. We actually have a reason to understand these things, yet naturalism and pantheism gives us no reason to even attempt to understand these things, because in the end, it doesn't matter. But if we are created in the image of God, it does It is with this I encourage all of you to consider the ramifications of your own worldview. How you interpret the world will affect the way you live. Is your worldview adequate? Does it accurately depict the world which you live? Does it grasp the reality presented before us? Are you being truthful with yourself and with others? These are the questions we must ask. And I encourage you to seek out the answers to seek out the truth. I believe in Christianity. Because of that, I believe that we are created in the image of God with a purpose to glorify Him. That though we are fallen in sin, God has sent redemption through His Son, Jesus Christ, and that those who are in Christ have everlasting peace now in this life and the life to come. The most amazing thing of this is that this is just the beginning of the gospel worldview, of the Christian worldview. If we are to examine all of it, if we could have a chance to, it would take an eternity to grasp all of the significance of it. Don't hesitate. Begin today. Seek the scriptures and seek the glory of God and his gospel. Amen. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you. We thank you because you have given us a complete view of reality. And it's through your Son, Jesus Christ, that it all fits together. 
Jesus Christ, your Son, is the crux of it all. Without Him, it all falls apart. Yet you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins so that we could become your children. And Lord, this is beautiful. This is magnificent. This culture around us, Lord, is pitting us up. It's saying that we're archaic. It's saying that we don't have the right worldview, that we're wrong, that we have no reason and no justification to believe what we believe. But Lord, your truth is truth of all time. It was true 2,000 years ago. It was true 4,000 years ago. It was true since the beginning of time. And it's with this, Lord, that we shine the light of Jesus Christ, knowing that it is the truth. And even though they may close their ears to it, we will not be afraid to defend you and honor you through the proclamation of the gospel of your Son. Because it is a complete worldview. It is truth. And we thank you for giving us the truth. In your Son's name I pray. Amen. At this time, we've got time for Larry. Please.